Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. The widening disparity between the rich and the poor has become a prominent fixture of public debate in the United States and both economists and politicians have proposed a wide variety of solutions, ranging from international trade partnerships to educational subsidies. Inextricably connected to this policy discussion is the underlying question of whether ethical economic systems can develop accidentally. If the answer is no, how do we establish ethical limits without exercising excessive control? In his paper, Paying Workers as if People Mattered, published in the summer issue of the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. Today's guest, Paul Babcock, CFO at Cooley Medical Center in Washington State, uses healthcare as a case study to argue that our existing system is inverted to the point that wages have become unconnected to their real purpose. He proposes an alternative that acknowledges the importance of market forces while emphasizing the intrinsic human dignity of the individual. Thank you for agreeing to be part of the show, Paul. I appreciate you having me on, Phil. It's a great honor. Today, we're going to be talking about just wages, specifically just wages in healthcare, uh, which, uh, as as you uh, seem to say, are have a lot of similarities with the overall discussion of just wages, but at the same time have some peculiarities. Uh, because of the specific nature of healthcare, is that correct? Yes. One thing that uh, you have written about in the past is that the system that we are using now is a broken system. Is that uh, would that be a fair characterization? Yeah, I think that's a fair characterization, Phil. I, I think the and I think more and more people understand that the system is broken. Um, you know, for when it comes to things like wages in healthcare, what we see is, um, you know, like other sectors are, of our economy, wages um, in healthcare are unconnected to the real purpose of a wage, you know, supporting yourself and your family. And, you know, wages have become in our society commoditized. And, um, you know, right now in, in healthcare, the current system incentivizes doctors and hospitals by the volume of work done. So this provides kind of a, in a way, a, a perverse incentive in the sense of, um, you know, what a, the more tests that are done, the more um, scans that are done, the more surgeries that are done, the more money there is, um, the, the more reward that is there. So it's, it's not about, uh, you know, the, the system has become one where it's driven by money and it's driven by, you know, getting that extra dollar and in instead of being driven by let's keep the patient healthy. Now, there is a shift going on in healthcare right now, kind of getting away from that volume um, and towards value, but, um, but you know, and the ACA is driving a lot of that, but it's, it's not concerning itself with wages at all um, and it's not concerning itself with prices. Um, and some of the other problems that are really deeply uh, uh, affecting healthcare uh, as it stands right now. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, you um, you mentioned below subsistence wages, 
Uh, could you explain to me a little bit about what's going on with uh, below subsistence wages on one end and excessive compensation on the other? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we see this in, in other areas. Um, it's less, the, the below subsistence is less um, acute in healthcare. It exists in certain areas like California where um, the cost of living is so high or in Florida. Um, but essentially when you pay a, a wage that's below subsistence, you're paying a wage that um, someone can't live on. You know, so it's it's really saying we're going to pay you something, and it's not going to be um, it's not going to be a wage that's going to allow you to you know rent rent a place to live um, and put food on the table. So usually, you know, people have to pool resources, or you know, the um, they're working two or three jobs in order to make enough money to to survive. On the upper end in healthcare, um, so there's very there isn't a huge amount of that going on, you know, uh, in healthcare. The lower end workers in healthcare are uh, usually going to be like housekeepers as an entry level position. Um, frequently, they can be unionized, and um, and often they are paid a little bit better than than what the market is because uh, uh, there are special requirements in healthcare um, for cleaning a hospital as opposed to say just cleaning a, a school or something like that. Um, However, on the on the upper end as well, you know, there's there's no limit to how much um, the high wage earners can make, and that includes both, you know, high level executives, corporate executives that can, you know, have compensation exceeding in the millions, um, or with physicians. Um, although in physicians, it's tied to how much they work, you know. So um, some physicians can make, you know three quarters of a million dollars or a million dollars or more, um, just depending on the on the work circumstances that they have and the contracts that they have. So, you know, one, one of the things that sets up is a huge amount of inequality. Um, and of course, that can lead to kind of a, a work atmosphere that isn't that good. Wouldn't, wouldn't that seem to um, actually be a good thing? I mean, if you think about it, if you're paid for the work you do, that the idea of kind of supply and demand is going to take care of um, that you're only doing necessary services and getting paid accordingly. Yeah, so there's a couple things that are going on. So one one thing um, to be clear is is one of the things that's going on in healthcare and has been going on for the last, I don't know, dozen years, probably 20 years, is that the, the revenue streams are shrinking. So there's less, you know, the, the providers, um, whether they're a doctor or mid-level, they're the revenue producers, and, and they're the key to having revenue, even in a hospital, um, because it's the doctors that write the orders. So what, what's been happening is those revenue streams are shrinking. You know, how, what you get paid for the, you know, for the work that's done, whether it's a CT scan or, or whether it's, um, you know, a hospital stay or heart surgery, that's getting paid at a lower rate. Um, you know, proportionately lower rate. It, it may go up, but it doesn't go up in, in terms of inflation. So the revenue streams have been shrinking, and what that does is, is it makes the um, providers more valuable So because they're the revenue generators, right? So um, what, what's been going on in healthcare is, is essentially like a bidding war. There aren't enough physicians to begin with, and so we keep raising – we keep grabbing uh, – you know, to, to get a, a doctor, um, you have to bid him away from another hospital. You have to give him, you know, incentives uh, to, a, you know, a higher rate of pay um, and a better 
contract uh, where they can, you know, essentially do the same or less um, in order to attract them and it, so that you as a hospital system can get that revenue. So over time, what's been going on is, is wages, um, and certainly this is true in, since I've been in healthcare, is um, wages for physicians has been going up and up and up. And it, it's uh, because their value to the, the uh, hospital system as a whole is very high. Um, but you got to come up with the money somewhere, you know. So if your dollars are, are shrinking or, the, or at best staying the same, you need to carve out that expense somewhere else. And, and in healthcare, really the place you're going to look is wages um, because wages account for about half of, of uh, the expenses in healthcare uh, as a whole. So we've gotten to a point where, you know, that <clears throat> the low-hanging fruit, as it were, has already been plucked off the tree. Um, I don't really think that, that hospitals are overstaffed at this point. You know, they, they all staff the volume. Um, and so you're still trying to find ways to to shorten staffing, you know, to, to save money, but you're essentially trying to, you know, use that money to pay for physicians um, for a dwindling amount of revenue. Secondly, um, another way that this, you know, the, the system is kind of crazy here is, is uh, you know, yeah, there's a supply and demand. So you would think that, oh, if, you know, if we're rewarding the work of a doctor, that you know that would be a good thing and and to an extent it might be um but what you're what we're not recognizing is that we're we're looking at what is supplied you know so what types of doctors are supplied what types of services are supplied um and you know if people if we believe in in the capitalist notion that people are going to pursue their self-interest then the things that they're going to want to supply are going to be the more expensive things, right? <laughs> because it's going to make more money. So, and that's essentially what has happened now, you know, in, in healthcare, you have to have medical necessity, but that still can be put down, you know? So um, we, we supply right now, you know, things that are very expensive and we have a very costly healthcare system. We have the most expensive healthcare system in the, in the world, actually. Um, and yet we're not getting the, the same uh, levels of, of uh, return on our investment as, as other countries. We don't have the healthiest population. So, um, you know, what we're doing right now is supplying things that may not necessarily be the best thing. So there, and like I said, there is a bit of a shift going on in healthcare to look at value. And part of that is, you know, looking at what's preventative. So if we, if we're to look at somebody like um, like right now, you know, cardi interventional cardiologists get paid a lot of money, and they should, right? You know, you're dealing with somebody who's having a heart attack, or um, you know, we're going to do a, a stent or something like that, um, and those pay a lot of money. But really, we don't pay um, an endocrinologist a lot of money, you know, and and an endocrinologist deals primarily with diabetes and other um, endocrine diseases, but when you think about it, um, a disease like diabetes is sort of, you know, it, it if untreated and it progresses and it causes things like heart disease. So, so by rewarding the downstream, you're you're almost guaranteeing that you're going to have more of that work. So, you know, we need to have more of a shift to being preventative and saying, you know, maybe we need to reward the the endocrinologist, you know, equally 
to get more endocrinologists in the field so that we can deal with diabetes and prevent the heart attacks 10, 15 years down the road. You mentioned that the only place really to cut expenses is payroll. Uh, could you explain some of the, let's call it, creative ways that hospitals are making up their expenses um, in this area? Yeah, so when you look at a when you look at an income statement, you know, some things like rent, you know, you're you're stuck with those um those costs, you know, you're you're either renting equipment or you're renting um property. Um those those prices you you really can't negotiate down um you know, or you're going to deal with depreciation, well, it's depreciation of your your um capitalized equipment, you need to continually buy new equipment and new buildings, etc. um yeah, and you know that becomes a fixed cost, but it's not—it's not something that you have um, a whole lot of you know, negotiating power on. You know, um, you go through purchase services, and and you go go on down the list of of different expenses. You can negotiate a little bit on them, but there's not a whole lot of um, money that you're going to save overall in the system. When when you look at an income statement on on hospitals as a whole, and including uh, clinics, um, you're going to find that salaries and benefits account for more than 50%. Um, it's around 52, 51, 52% of uh, of the expenses that are are spent. Well, you know that's the obvious place you're going to have to cut. You know, so how do you do that? And how you know if you're going to say we're going to have sustainability in healthcare um, and we need to contain spending. And the only way you're going to contain it um, is by containing the uh, salary costs. Now, the reason wages are so high and account for such a large proportion of what is spent in healthcare um, really is because it's a service. You know, so it's a service. You know, when when healthcare is performed, and think about what's going on. It's it's a doctor interacting with a patient, or a nurse interacting with a patient, or a nurse is taking care of a patient um, on in a nursing, you know, in a in a bed. Um, or in an ICU bed or something like that, or it's a you know a technician that's running a scan on a patient, or a, a lab um, personnel that's doing a lab draw um, on a patient. So there's always um, sort of a you know a face-to-face -face contact, um, a very human contact, and, and it requires people to to do that. You can't automate it the way that you can in say manufacturing. You can't you know, just automate, you know, uh, here, stick your arm in and we're going to do a blood draw, right? You know, I mean, think of how, how how your blood draws are done. You know, the phlebotomist is sitting there trying to find your vein and everything. You can't have a machine do that. And you can't have a, a machine um, figure out what's wrong with you the way that a doctor does, you know. So um, <clears throat> so it, it makes sense that that uh, that wages account for so much of the expense in healthcare. Um, but we also have to figure out how to contain that, you know, so, um, you know, we, you, what what the paper, you know, tries to argue is is um, really that wages as a whole are really about supporting your family and supporting yourself and your family. So if you're making $750,000 or a million dollars or for, you know, say a healthcare executive, that's you know, a corporate person that's making, you know, several million dollars or tens of millions of dollars, you don't need that much money to support your family that, you know, and, 
and you, so your wage is completely disconnected from the purpose of what, what wages are for. Um, and in order to have that high level of pay, you need to get it somewhere, right? So it's not, um, it, it's not like, uh, it's not like making an iPhone where you create a whole new, a whole new product and all of a sudden there's all this profit and you can make all this money off of it. Um, really, there's a limit to how much um, is there. There's, you know, a set number of population and, you know, they're going to have X amount of, of healthcare needs and, and hospitals fulfill that. But, um, but you're not going to have, you know, really extra money out there. So you've got to kind of pull it from somewhere. You have to, and, and, and that's done by cutting, you know, FTEs, by, you know, full-time equivalents, by, by, you know, trying to limit the number of workers um, that, are, that are, you know, providing these services in a hospital. You mentioned um, wages, extremely high wages being disconnected from their purpose. Can you explain to me a little bit about what you mean by the purpose of wages? For uh, a capitalist society, you know, we tend to think of wages as, um, you know, it's it's whatever um, is being paid. You know, it's it's supply and demand. So if there's a high demand for something, then the wage would be high, you know. Um, but in, in solidarism, you know, which is, is really based uh, in church teaching, um, it, it, the argument is that um, human beings are <laughs> fallen, and because we're fallen, um, we need to work, and we need to work by the sweat of our brow for our bread, you know. So it's a, it really is kind of a natural right of, of human beings to work, and that work is connected back to how we support ourselves and support our families. So we we have both this natural need um, and this natural right to work uh, and, and that our wages therefore need to be um, connected back to what its purpose really is. So if I'm making, you know, $13 million, well, you know, I don't need $13 million to live, you know, right? You know, I don't care how big your family is, you don't need $13 million. Uh, on, the other, on the other end of that, you know, on the low end, if you're making, you know, say $10,000 and you have a family, you can't live on that, not in this country. You might be able to in, in another country, but not in America, you know. So at that end, you're not making enough to survive, you know. So we wind, you know, people wind up on, on different state in federal assistance, um, you know, to, to kind of, you know, float them back up. Um, but, it, you know, in, 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 uh, in the capitalist system, you know, it's, it's really just supply and demand. So the human being is commoditized. They are basically reduced to nothing more than, you know, a, a way of, of production and, you know, a, no different than, you know, uh, materials or, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, raw materials or machinery or anything else that's needed to produce goods um, or produce services. So, you know, their labor is, in healthcare, labor winds up being, you know, it's it's the in a capitalist system, it's the commodity that um, produces the revenue. You know, so you know, it is a means of production, but it it's not, um, <laughs> you know, in the end, we're not 
you know, we shouldn't reduce human beings to, you know, bags of sugar, you know, for making cereal or something like that, or, or, you know, iron for making steel, we're human beings, you know, so we have to be realistic. And, and this is part of what's happening, um, even in healthcare is, you know, there's been this push on providers um, to, you know, to see more patients, to increase volume, push, push, push. And what, what's happening um, throughout, you know, from, from a lot of doctors' perspectives is they're, they feel burned out. They feel like it's too overwhelming. I can't see this many patients, you know, so, because they reach a limit where it's like, I can't, I can't give anymore. I can't see 30 patients in a day, every day, you know, I can see 20 or 24 or something like that. So, um, so that too becomes a, a problem. During that, you mentioned Solidarism. Yes. Now, this is an economic theory developed during the 20th century. Could you explain a little bit about what this system is and the principles that underpin it and how it offers um, a solution to what the problems you've been describing? Yeah, so I think um, – Solidarism is really uh, really begins with uh, the papal encyclical Rerum Novarum by Pope Leo the Thirteenth, and you know, so he wrote that in 1891. And he was he, what he was writing about was labor, and um, he criticized both socialism and capitalism, um, and you know both of which were really vying for control. Um, throughout European societies at the time. And he saw inherent evils in um, socialist systems, um, which are atheist in nature and reduce man to, um, you know, part of a, a system and, and try to perfect man, um, which, you know, the, the church will teach that man is, is only perfectible through, um, through faith. He's not perfectible through material means. Um, but the capitalist side too had problems. So it, you know, it, it was trying to deal with the exploitation that went on, um, you know, in, in the late uh, 19th century. And there were other writers that followed um, in, you know, took the encyclical and the principles that were laid out in the encyclical um, and, uh, you know, went further with it. Um, so one of the writers that I rely on pretty heavily in the paper is Heinrich, Father Heinrich Pesch. Um, who was a German Jesuit priest, and um, uh, he wrote pretty extensively, and he, he you know, used the term solidarism and, and wrote um, a real system. Um, other writers that, you know, uh, listeners may be familiar with are um, uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton, uh, you know, it's going to be Hilaire Belloc, um, Father Vincent McNabb, Arthur Penty, um, and other writers of the Distributist League um, in England. And Distributism is essentially the same system as solidarism. Um, I think there's a little bit of difference, some some subtle differences, uh, but probably the you know the most uh, the reason I stick with solidarism instead of distributism as a term is um, uh, because of the principle of solidarity. You know, and and the principle of solidarity is that we are all connected, and and you know we all human beings live in a society. Um, we are social by nature, and we are in relation to each other. So, um, you know, we are. It, it really is rooted back in in the commandment of love thy neighbor as thyself, right? So, um, you know, what it's saying there is is an ethical precept that um, we have to care for each other and we have to act in society 
um, towards each other in a way that sees each other at, and sees the innate human dignity um, that we all have uh, and, and recognizes that. You know, so and I, I think that's part of the you know the key for for the system is that you're recognizing that man is made in the image and likeness of God. You're recognizing that human dignity that's there, that intrinsic dignity that can't be taken away. Where, whereas, um, you know, so when we see capitalism, and, you know, capitalism can do some good things, but it also does some bad things that it kind of whitewashes, you know. And you see this in, in foreign countries where, you know, <laughs> capitalism goes in and, you know, kind of has a little banana republic and, and uh, you know, there is exploitative um, labor going on. And, you know, it, that's dehumanizing because, you know, the, the whole problem there in capitalism is that there isn't anything ethical. It's, it, it essentially says that if you, if everybody pursues their self-interest, that eventually an equilibrium will be reached and that, you know, will, will achieve, um, you know, an ethical system by accident, you know, just by everybody pursuing their own self-interest and everyone compromising. But that doesn't really happen, and that doesn't really work because um, there are all these power differentials going on, you know, where some people have more power and, and clout than others, you know. So there's there's a lot of um, injustice that goes on in that, you know. And, and the whole idea in capitalism is that over time this would – reach an equilibrium. Well, you know, that what you see in a, in, in our society is it's a, you know, what we do when we um, go through wages, you know, so, you know, if wages are, aren't good enough in this country, you know, and, and labor pushes back and says, we need higher wages. What, what happens? They just ship it to another country, right? <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, it, it might be true that you'd reach an equilibrium if everybody were, you know, working in sort of a, a set system. But because there's always this opportunity to, you know, ship jobs overseas, um, it, it undercuts that whole dynamic, you know. So, uh, but I, I think, you know, the thing that you you really have to see in, in solidarism is back to this idea of, you know, we are human beings and we owe each other duties and we owe, um, you know, ethical behavior has to be at the, the forefront of the economy because um, the economy is not about, you know, a scientific measurement of how to make the most money. It, the economy should be at the service of man. Man is the subject. Man is not a piece that, you know, is, is man's not created for work. Work is created for man. You know, so there's an inversion that's going on. And Pope John Paul II speaks to this with, um, in Laborum Exocrines, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, you know, the, that there's an inversion going on in capitalism where we treat the laborer as um, a worker, and that worker is supposed to get work done so I can make a profit. Whereas in solidarism, you're turning it back around, saying that, you know, the work is there. Um, so that man can support himself and his family. So if, you know, we have to orient um, how we organize things around that uh, because that ethical good is what is the whole purpose of the economy as a whole and the whole purpose of our behavior towards one another needs to be rooted in, um, rooted in ethical action. How would 
reorganizing um, healthcare around this principle of solidarity help main help uh, you know rein in healthcare costs? We've got to apply the same principle in healthcare, and it's important to do for a couple of different reasons. Um, one is you can't outsource the jobs. Um, you know, so you're going to have to deal with the, the cost um, issues and the wage issues. Um, another is that the, the, uh, the work environment in, in healthcare is directly affects the patient. And, you know, so you can't have, um, you know, a toxic work environment and, uh, and then expect good patient outcomes. You know, um, it will direct, you know, the mood and, and, uh, uh, and how people are affected by their wages um, you know, all will bleed off into, into you know, patient care, um, which is, you know, face-to-face. -face. So, um, so you don't want to have your employees angry about their wages and angry to the point of, you know, oh, my gosh, I can't live on this, you know, and I'm working two, three jobs just to survive. So on the bottom end, you know, we need to make sure that the wages are um, sufficient you know, to be a livable wage. And, and that doesn't mean that you're living in the lap of luxury, but it also means that you're not living below subsistence, you know, where you can't even afford to live and you're, you're uh, working two, three jobs and pooling resources with other families just to, you know, have shelter um, and, and enough money for food, you know. So, um, like I said, I don't think there's a huge amount of that going on, although there probably is in, in areas like uh, California or Florida or some other, maybe New York or some other um, high cost of living areas. But on the upper end, um, it comes back to, you know, limiting the amount of money that you can make in healthcare. So I don't, you know, what solidarism still says is that supply and demand, those are, those are economic laws, and that's fine, but it can't be the only way that you d determine wages. So, um, you know, within the middle, you can still have plenty of supply and demand determining wages. But at the upper end and at the lower end, you don't want – you need to have um, an ethical precept that's going to guide that. So when you start getting to, you know, somebody making millions of dollars, you know, how is the, how is the healthcare executive, you know, that makes $10 million or $12 million or however much money, how are they making that money? Well, they're doing it by reducing expenses. How, what expenses are they going to reduce? So they're going to reduce payroll. Right. So essentially, they're they're telling their, you know, non-clinical employees and even their clinical employees do more with less, work harder, you know, so that I can make more money, <laughs> you know. And and I think that's part of something that we have to get rid of because it it really isn't, um, you know, healthcare is a different form of, you know, in our it's a different form of business in our economy. It's not the same thing as, you know, making widgets or making cars or, you know, uh, um, making some other type of commodity that may or may not be necessary. It's, it, you know, healthcare is a universal need that every human being has. And, and um, you know, I would argue and others argue that it's a, a, a fundamental human right. You don't want it to be commoditized in the same, that, same way that we commoditize other parts of our economy. You know, I don't think solidarism is a socialist system, um, you know, what – and it's important to point this out. And I think what happens in, in, um, in our society is, is, you know, we know socialism is evil. Um, so what capitalism kind of does is it, 
it, any time anytime there's a critique or a criticism of capitalism, it kind of knee jerks and says, well, that's socialism. Um, solidarism is not socialism. It's, it is a very different system, and it, it is sort of a third way. Uh, you know, what, um, what solidarism, you know, what, one of the things that socialism does is it says that uh, property is something that um, is, you know, the means of control um, for capitalism, and it, try, it seeks to eliminate property. And in solidarism, property, like capitalism, is, you know, held as sacrosanct. It's, it's held as something that's um, critical to the economy and, and normal for, you know, and natural um, as a right for human beings to own property. Um, and that, that affects healthcare too. It, it affects it in, you know, who owns what, you know? So if, um, if, if property, who owns the hospitals, you know, that, that, uh, uh, you know, that you provide your care, you know, who owns what determines um, how your care is going to play out. Um, you know, so property is, is an important facet of solidarism, just as it is in capitalism. Um, and all that solidarism is really trying to do in, in terms of, uh, the economy is place limits, ethical limits um, on the economy because in order to um, reach, you know, a, a, a just society and, you know, that we're all really striving towards. Um, you know, finally, I'd like to say that, you know, what you see in capitalism is sort of an enshrining of, of the individual. Um, and there's, you know, a certain virtue of that. There's obviously importance in the individual. Um, socialism on the other end um, kind of focuses on the society as a whole to the detriment of the individual. Uh, so solidarism is in the middle. It basically says that the individual is critically important and has innate human dignity um, that comes from their nature as a human being, as a creation of God. Um, but it also says that we are in solidarity with each other and we have to act um, in a certain way towards each other and we exist in society. So it, it really, um, I think, fuses kind of the, the best of both and tries to provide a much more humane and just economic system. That was Paul Babcock talking with us about the ethics of healthcare wages. You can find Paul's article, Paying Workers as If People Matter, in the summer issue of the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. For more information on the social justice aspects of healthcare, or to find answers to other bioethical questions, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. I'm your host, Phil Cerrone. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.